So I wonder what takes your breath away. I wonder what things happen around you where you're just like, your mouth drops, your eyes go wide, and you have nothing more to say. You're speechless. I mean, maybe it's seeing something great like the Grand Canyon or the mountains, something in the stars or a sunrise that you're just like, whoa, it causes you to stop and notice. Maybe something great in your family, a wedding, something happens with a graduation or baby's born, and it just leaves you speechless. You're so in awe. I'm not sure what it is for you, but I I know for most of us in our modern era, with the advent of Google, we are less awestruck than probably any other time in human history. Because at any given point, if I want to see something, view it, watch it, I just Google it and I can go to the top of Mount Everest, I can go out into the far galaxies, I can see video footage, pictures of almost anywhere, any place, so I'm not caught off guard that often and speechless. But it happens every once in a while, every once in a while, and I stop and I take notice that something is so big that I'm like, wow. And for some of us, not all of us, but for some of us, that moment of awe is probably when we realized there was a God. When we started to hear about how God loves us, that God forgives us, that God is merciful towards us, for some of us that caused us to stop and go, really? Like He knows everything about me? He sees all the good, bad, and the ugly, and he still loves me. He still cares about me, and it causes me to be awestruck. And and then I hear that he wants to be with me forever, and I can be with him forever with eternal pleasures at his right hand. I mean, that causes some of us to be awestruck. It's kind of like telling your five-year-old you're going to Disney World. You know, you're trying to explain the magic kingdom to a five-year-old, and you're like, it's this incredible place, and there's these characters running around, there's great food, and there's great rides, and it's just magical. And your five-year-old is like, yes, yes, I want to go, I want to go, and we're going to drive, and it's going to take 20 hours in the minivan. And they're like, yes, yes, I want to go. And they get in the minivan, and the first hour is great, right? And then the rest of the drive is an absolute train wreck, because they're like, are we there yet? 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 No traffic. We got to stop and go to the bathroom. We got to stop and eat. It's this long journey. And by the time they actually get to the magic kingdom, it's lost all its magic for everybody in the van. You know what I mean? And in a lot of ways, that's what our Christian lives wind up looking like. Where for many of us, we were so awestruck that God would love us, that he would forgive us, that he wants to spend eternity with us. But we get bored along the way, and the journey is long and hard, and there's pit stops and traffic jams and accidents, and we get to a certain point in our journey, and we're like, are we there yet? Like, is this all there is? Is this as good as it's going to get? Or is there more? You know, we're starting this sermon series this summer. It's called, Are We There Yet? Because I think for a lot of us as Christ followers, We wonder if this is as good as it's going to get, and we find ourselves tired, bored, lazy in our Christian walk, and we wonder why we don't have a sense of awe of the God of the universe, because we're so focused on getting there, wherever there is, that we lose sight of the journey. But 
But we're going to look at these characters in the Bible, all different snapshots of people in the Bible who were on a journey too. And it's not the beginning of the journey that matters. It's not the end of the journey that's the point. It's the entire thing, the beginning, end, and everything in the middle that begins to transform us and make us look like Jesus and give us a sense of purpose and hope. So hopefully you'll lean in this summer to this sort of biographical study of different people's lives that are just like you and me. And today I want to introduce you to a guy. I'm going to call him Humble Isaiah. And if you have your Bibles, open it up to Isaiah chapter 6. We're going to be looking at the first five verses. Isaiah chapter 6. If you find the Psalms in the first half of your Bible and you go to Proverbs and then Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, Song of Songs, you'll find Isaiah right there. And here's the, here's the deal with Isaiah. Isaiah's got a pretty big job description, a good title. His title is prophet. Isaiah's a prophet. Now, that doesn't mean he's a fortune teller. It doesn't mean he's a horoscope reader. It means he's a mouthpiece for God, that God is going to give certain truths to his guy, Isaiah, and Isaiah is going to give those truths to God's people. And Isaiah chapter 6 is actually the time where uh, Isaiah gets recruited by God for this position. And so kind of a use your imagination for a moment. If God's going to recruit you for a position, he text messages Isaiah and he says, hey Isaiah, when you, you get done with lunch, come into my office, I want to talk to you. And imagine Isaiah, he's going, oh gosh, like what, what is this? And he goes into God's office and he says, okay God, what is it that you need? And God's like, I want you to be my communications director. And Isaiah's like, oh yeah, like I'm the big dog. I got tapped for this big assignment. Actually, that's not how it goes at all. Check it out. Isaiah 6 verse 1. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. Isaiah is speaking. In the year the king died, I saw the Lord, high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two wings they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty, the earth is full of His glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried. I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty." So catch this. Isaiah is claiming to have seen the King of kings and Lord of lords, Almighty God. And he's describing a scene with, surrounded by angels, and there's smoke, and there's things shaking. It's kind of a weird scene to our modern ears. We're like, what's going on here? And so just a little bit of context. In the chapters leading up to this moment in Isaiah 6, we read about God's people, the Jewish people, who have been chosen by God to be a place where He demonstrates His goodness and His faithfulness. And the Jewish people have experienced incredible peace and prosperity up to this moment. And what they haven't done is connected their peace and their prosperity with God. Instead, they have rebelled against God. 
They've been lazy. They have fallen asleep. So Isaiah is writing this to awaken, to awaken them. And he says in the beginning of Isaiah, Isaiah 2.5, he says, Come, descendants of Jacob, let us walk in the light of the Lord. Because the people of God are not walking in the light. They're walking in the darkness. They're choosing to rebel. They're asleep. They're checking out. And things are about to change, Isaiah is going to tell them. Verse 1 gives us some historical context to kind of anchor this in history. In the year that King Uzziah died, that's when I saw the Lord. So who's this king? This is a really good king. He's reigning over God's people probably for 50 plus years, and it's under his leadership that Israel is enjoying peace and prosperity, and it's under him that things are going well. And yet, the last couple years of his life, this king, he's been honoring God for the vast majority of his life, but right towards the end, he hedges a little bit. He starts cutting corners with God, and that leads to some difficult disease, which eventually kills him. And so you have these people that are in this transition, and you have this guy, Isaiah, who's this Jewish man who's in this transition with his country, and he trusts God. And he goes into the temple to worship God, and he sees this vision of God. I saw the Lord, high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. So it's this scene of God as king, right? He's sitting on a throne, and the king on the throne is wearing this long robe. And Isaiah's trying to capture for us how great and glorious this king is. He's like, you guys want to know how big God is? And your answer is, yeah, how big is God? His robe is so big that it fills the entire temple. He's trying to capture in words how massive God is. Verse 2, above God were seraphim, each with six wings. Two wings they covered their face, two wings they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. So he sees this supernatural scene, God massive, and he has these beings swarming around God. And the Bible says there are angels and archangels and cherubim and principalities and powers, and here he calls them seraphim, which just means bright ones. There's these bright burning ones swarming around God's throne bringing him glory, and they're speaking, they're singing, they're calling to one another. Verse 3, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. They're seeing God in all his fullness and greatness, and they're trying to describe what they see to us, and they say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Now, what does the word holy mean? What does it mean, holy? It means separate. It means unique. It means different. They're saying God is totally unique, totally great, in a category totally unto himself. And he's not just holy once. He's not holy as the Lord God Almighty. He's not holy, holy as the Lord God Almighty. He's holy, holy, Holy is the Lord God Almighty. I love how one theologian puts this. When he says this three times, he isn't saying one plus one plus one is the Lord God Almighty. He's saying perfection times perfection 
times perfection is the Lord God Almighty. He's trying to capture the greatness of God for us. And then the seraphim add this phrase, the whole earth is full of God's glory. What does that mean? So you know LeBron James, he's a pretty mega basketball star, arguably the greatest basketball player after MJ, uh, to, uh, to have graced the basketball world. If LeBron James showed up at the east entrance of our church and people saw his entourage show up and people were like, you guys know that LeBron's here? And the whispering that would happen and the pointing and the pictures that would happen as he made his way in and you would find out that he was coming up on stage to talk. Do you know what the whispering and the chatter and all that kind of energy would be? I could say to you in that moment, the whole room is full of LeBron's glory. It would be like this incredible person is here and everybody's talking about it. Everybody notices it. Everybody's aware LeBron is here. And what the seraphim is trying to say to us, these angels, is saying so great, so holy, so unique, so wonderful, so powerful, so beautiful is God Almighty that the entire earth is filled with His glory, that every living being and every corner and every continent and every spot, pot of space and every depth of the sea is whispering, glamoring, saying, God, God, God is here. The whole earth is full of His glory. Verse 4, at the sound of His voice, the doorposts and thresholds begin to shake and the temples filled with smoke. God, so beautiful and so strong, so trustworthy and true, so peaceful and powerful. That when the angels say all of this, things are shaking and haze is filling the place. And this is just one human, an everyday guy like you and me, Isaiah, trying to put into language this glimpse of heaven, this glimpse of the king that he saw in this moment. And in verse 5 gives us his personal response to everything he sees he says, woe to me, I cried, I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. When he catches a glimpse, he doesn't run and hide, he doesn't puff up and go, look at me, I'm the man. It humbles him, and it causes Isaiah to see himself accurately. It causes Isaiah to see himself in his true nature, who he is. He sees the perfection of God, the infinite goodness of God. He sees the imperfect nature of himself and the imperfect nature of everybody around him. And he says, in light of perfection times perfection times perfection, I am ruined. I'm undone. I'm nothing. I'm small. I'm nobody. I find this fascinating because you think if God was going to be in the presence, if perfect, holy, infinite God was going to be in the presence of imperfect, lowly person, you'd think that God would just not even come into the room or not even invite him into his presence. You'd think he would just strike him with a lightning bolt. And if you did see that kind of vision of God, you'd kind of cower and hide. But the exact opposite happens. 
Seeing God's greatness causes Isaiah to turn to God, not run from God. I mean, this is incredible that the perfect, supreme, sovereign of the universe is so great and so pure and so holy and so good that in his presence people go, I'm ruined, but I'm not afraid of you. I'm not running the other way. I'm coming to you. There's something about this that even shows us the character of God and his strength and his purity and his greatness that he's slow to anger and abounding in love and invites us into his presence. It's incredible. So important for you to hear this. Isaiah didn't see God because he was special. Isaiah saw God because he was humble. It wasn't because God was like, oh, I'm really impressed with Isaiah. He's doing a good job at work, so I'm going to make him a supervisor. No, 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 no. Isaiah wasn't special. He was humble. And that's what made all the difference. Here's how I define humility. Humility is understanding who God is and understanding who I am in all accuracy. Who is God and who am I? And when I see that in truth and in accuracy, that's what makes me humble. Isaiah was humble before he had this vision. Isaiah was a humble man who understood who he was before God. He understood God was sovereign, God was creator, and he understood, I'm just a normal, everyday Jewish guy that has a wife and two kids, and my country is now in transition. Our king just died, and I'm going to do what I always do every Lord's Day. I'm going to come into God's presence. I'm going to come in in humility and worship God, because that's what I do. That's who I am. And when humble Isaiah came into his normal, everyday worship experience, God pulled back the curtains of heaven and showed humble Isaiah more of him. And seeing more of God caused Isaiah to just be more humble. It wasn't for bragging rights. It caused Isaiah to be more humble, and God says, I want to use you. You're the kind of humble mouth I can use to be my communications director. Here's the deal. I, I want to see God, too. I want to see a vision of God. I want to see more of God. I want to understand the greatness and the glory of God, too, because there's something about seeing the goodness and glory of God that helps me to see who I really am. Not the trumped-up version of me, not the facade of me, not the stuff I show everybody else, but when I see who I really am, and I see who God really is, that's when I discover my purpose. The question is, am I just waiting for a day when I see Him face-to-face, -face? when I get to the pearly gates? Then I'll see Him, and I'll be excited. Or am I in it now? Am I humbly seeking God now? Because here's the deal. Here's the deal. If I humbly seek him now, I can see him now. I can grow to know him and love him now. So, so we just celebrated July 4th, right? And July 4th is all about fireworks, right? Can I just be honest with you? I think fireworks are stupid. 
unless I'm lighting them off, but if I'm just going to watch them, I'm sweaty, I'm hot, it always rains, there's lots of people in crowds, and it's the same thing every year. It's like, there they are. Let me just show you a picture of what you did last year as you watch these stupid things go poof in the air. Like, it's not exciting at all, right? So once in a while, I drag myself to a firework display. Like, every five years, I gotta go to fireworks, and I go to the fireworks, and something happens. It always happens. I hear this noise. Are you ready? This noise, it goes like this, and then it's silent, right? And the sky is filled all the way with this color, and then this cosmic boom hits my carcass, and I'm like, whoa, that was awesome, right? Doesn't that happen every time? You, you, anybody been there where you get that thing that hits you so hard, and you're like, that's pretty cool, those fireworks. That was good, I don't need to come for another five years, right? That's, that's kind of how it rolls, right? But if I never showed up to the fireworks, I would never get the cosmic boom in my carcass. It's just amazing in our Christian walk how God is so awe-inspiring to us when we start. Then we get to this point where we're bored. We get to this point where like, really, do I have to go to church? Really, do I read my Bible? Really, small groups? Like, why should I be connected or serve at church? Like, what's the big deal? Been there, done that. I'm kind of waiting. Like, is this all there is? I'm bored. I'm killing time. I'm waiting, and one day I'll see God face to face, and it'll be great. Instead of going, no. No. Here's the, those who humbly seek God will see God. If you don't go to the firework, you'll never get the carcass thump. And you'll never be like, whoa, that was awesome. When you show up, when you seek Him, when you're hungry for Him, you will see Him. And it will change you. It will change your life. Not every firework, not every moment, but there will be at some point a moment that thumps you and changes you. But here's what's incredible. Those who see God are the ones who humbly are used by God. So Isaiah didn't get this vision so he could walk around the job site and be like, yo, I'm the big dude in the house. I'm the guy. No, it wasn't for bragging rights. Those who got to see more of God are used by God to advance his kingdom. So read the rest of Isaiah chapter 6, and you'll see because Isaiah goes, I am ruined before God, God says, I'm going to forgive you and I'm going to use you. And Isaiah is going to say, use me. Wherever you want me to go, I'll go. If you see more of God, it's not for you. It's for you to be able to share what you see with a world around us that's dying. But you're just checking your watch going, eh, I guess I'm going to go to heaven someday. Kill some time. Play around, do whatever you feel like. I'm bored. This Christianity, does it get better than this? When the God of the universe wants you to see more of Him, and as you see more of Him, you will be used by God in your place, in your workplace. And it may not look like Isaiah. You may not ever get tapped to be the communications director of God. That's cool. Wherever you live and whoever you are in your unique gift set, you will be used by God to share the light and love of Christ with other people. When I get to heaven... I want to be more than just I was asleep the entire ride killing time until I get there. I want to know Christ 
and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in His suffering. I want to be a part of advancing the kingdom of God, and that happens when you humbly seek Him. That happens when you realize His greatness and your brokenness. That happens through humility only, not because you're special, but because you understand who God is and you understand who you are. It changes everything, and you will have moments, maybe not like Isaiah's, you will have moments where it thuds you so hard, it redirects your life in a beautiful way. Isn't that what we want? Let's pray. God, thank you for being patient with us. Thank you for not tossing us away. Today, God, there might be people listening online, watching online, listening here, have yet to put their trust in you. They don't know, they never heard that you're slow to anger and abounding in love. Maybe you're hearing this for the first time. Put your trust in Jesus. He'll change you. Maybe right now is a thud moment where you're just speechless. Just utter to God, save me. Just open your mind and heart to him and say, I believe. Watch what he does, how he changes you. But for sons and daughters that are here that have placed their trust in you, oh God, wake us up. Help us not to coast or kill time, but to humbly seek you because we want to see you and we want to be used by you to advance your kingdom. Help us, God. Humble us to see your greatness and your glory. I pray this through Christ our Lord. Amen.